Hi, this is WCG Patient Radio. This is Steve Smith, President of Patient Advocacy. WCG is a company that focuses on the ethical treatment of the people who volunteer for clinical trials and other solutions that make them uh, faster and uh, less costly so that we can get medicines for unmet medical needs developed faster. We're speaking today with Julia Jenkins, who's the Executive Director of the Every Life Foundation for Rare Disorders. Good morning, Julia. Good morning, Steve. Thank you so much for having me on today. Oh, it's a real pleasure. I'm uh, excited to talk with you. Uh, a lot of people uh, may know, but some may not, that the Every Life Foundation for Rare Diseases <clears throat> or Rare Disorders is uh, the nation's largest group that gives people, patients, a uh, voice on Capitol Hill to focus on changes that are necessary to get more unmet medical needs addressed, to tell uh, our legislators and others what exactly they could do to help us. Um, tell us about the Every Life Foundation for Rare Disorders and uh, how you started and what your mission is and so forth. Sure. So we are very excited. The Every Life Foundation is actually celebrating our 10-year anniversary this year. Um, we were really started back in 2009 because there were very few companies that were developing treatments for rare diseases. There was probably about five companies that were focused on rare disease and maybe another 15 that had, that were larger companies that had a few um, diseases that they were developing for rare diseases. So um, with 7,000 different rare diseases and 93% of those diseases um, have no FDA-approved treatment, we knew we had to do something to close the innovation gap for rare diseases. So um, Dr. Emil Kakis, who was uh, a researcher out of UCLA Harbor um, developing the treatment for MPS1, he had joined BioMarin, um, a company that was actually focused in rare disease drug development, and gotten a number of treatments approved uh, for rare diseases, but found the challenges there to be um, really difficult and not really able to uh, overcome by a drug company and that uh, really the patient community needed to come and advocate for public policy changes because at Biomarin for 11 years, he got four FDA approved therapies for rare diseases, but there were thousands of others that needed treatment. Um, so he left industry and he started the Every Life Foundation with our Cure the Process campaign. So we looked for really small changes that could have a really large impact in the way that treatments are developed for rare diseases. So we have always been advocating to improve the FDA regulatory process, um, making sure that the FDA has the right staff um, and is keeping up on the latest science, is using alternative clinical trial designs that are more effective um, for rare diseases. Um, so really making sure they have enough money um, and making yes, sure- Yes, I remember that, that you're, you mentioned that, um, um, regulatory process. I remember your first campaign uh, was aptly named uh, the Cure the Process campaign, if I remember correctly, and it focused on what exactly needs to be changed in the, in the regulatory process that the FDA uses. Um, yes. And, and it, was very, it was very specific, wasn't it? It was. We had three main goals. Um, one, we wanted access to the accelerator approval pathway, which is how we got so many great um, treatments for HIV and AIDS. Um, the second is that we wanted alternative clinical trial designs um, for rare diseases. And the third is that we wanted uh, an FDA um, uh, office of rare diseases, which I'm really proud to say that finally, after 10 years, the FDA is actually reorganizing itself 
and making more specialized um, divisions and offices for rare diseases. We are still um, now actually calling for a center of excellence um, at the FDA for rare diseases. So while we have made some progress, there's still a lot of work to be done at the FDA um, to improve rare disease drug development. Yes, that's one of the things I associate with the Every Life Foundation is it's not only about um, bringing together the collective voice of patients to say, hey, this isn't working. It, uh, you also do a lot of the heavy lifting in collaboration with the other stakeholders to figure out what exactly can be done. And this is the kind of work that gets quite detailed. So I've noticed in some of your working groups and uh, meetings you have regularly, you, you're working with the FDA, you're working with the biotechs and pharmaceutical companies, and you're working with the patients uh, all together, and including and you keep informed and work interact with members of Congress and their staffers. So you've really uh, brought together a collaboration, haven't you? Absolutely. Um, we absolutely believe that collaboration is critical to advancing smart, science-driven public policy. So we really um, want to put an emphasis on that science-driven public policy. Every year we host an annual scientific workshop to look at challenges like how an FDA Center of Excellence could improve um, drug development for rare diseases. We do um, uh, workshops on access to accelerated approval and the use of biomarkers for rare diseases for clinical trial designs. So we really do want to focus on making sure that we're working with all the stakeholders um, on these difficult scientific challenges. Um, and we have a great yes, program. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you um, go ahead, please. We, we have a great program called our Community Congress. Um, which is very unique because we give patient organizations and industry representatives an equal seat at the table. Uh, we have four working groups, uh, public policy, regulatory, newborn screening, and access. And through these four tables, um, we have more than 200 stakeholders working together to solve some really um, difficult challenges for the rare disease community, but that collaboration is really critical to um, coming up with great policy solutions. Yes, and uh, you recently have made um, a breakthrough in uh, one of the policies requests of Congress that was just discussed in your working group meetings in the last few weeks, but it, it has been um, brewing for quite some time. It's the rare disease patient burden study. Can you uh, talk about that? Sure, so as many people know, Congress is debating um, how to fix um, or how to address the challenge of high drug prices. But for our rare disease community, most of our patients don't have drugs at all, right? 93% of our population have no FDA-approved treatments. But no one talks about the cost of not treating rare diseases and the, the cost of not diagnosing rare diseases. It's not free if you don't have a treatment. There are still huge costs to our community, costs <clears throat> uh, for hospitalizations, for surgeries, to uh, take time off work for um, occupational therapy, physical therapy, special education, so many costs, costs to modify your house, modify your car, um, things that really aren't discussed when talking about the cost of a treatment. So we- Yes, and parents, uh, parents who have children with rare diseases uh, taking um, massive amounts of time off of work as adults with rare diseases do, to go just sit in the hospital for um, treatment after treatment after treatment, and a lot of the time they're taking that time from work and school, they're actually just in a waiting room. So this, these kinds of burden items um, really haven't been consolidated before. 
Absolutely. Um, so this will be a groundbreaking study. We um, have been raising money all last year to fund um, a privately study, uh, economic burden study. It includes about 60% of rare diseases. Um, but the great news was that we've also been advocating for a federal government study um, to find out the cost and burden of rare diseases. Um, and that language was actually signed um, by President Trump on Friday in the appropriations bill. So two years um, from next Friday, the federal government will have to issue its report, its study of the economic burden. Um, the foundation's privately funded study will actually be released sometime next fall, and we hope that will help the government um, with their burden study, help influence and, and show them how to do this type of, of research so that we can actually include um, the entire community. So we're, it's a huge, um, huge win for the rare disease community that happened very, very quietly last Friday. Well, that, that's really wonderful. And I know that can make a difference once that study is out, that um, we can get um, a lot more done in terms of whenever something's held up, when patients are denied some kind of payment or somebody thinks, uh, whether it's a payer or Medicaid or Medicare, or many other areas, or even school districts who don't want to supply services because they don't understand that the, um, the family really needs it. This can help on, not only unblock it on a family level, it can do it on a macro level, which can improve um, society and the cost of society. So Absolutely. you have also, the Every Life Foundation has also, through its advocacy, um, changed issues as, as you've gone along, focusing on what some of the issues are now, uh, this year, uh, in these past uh, 10 years, and you've worked on the major efforts with names that some people may know and others may not, like the PDUFA laws and 21st Century Cures, which was a massive piece of legislation signed into law. And inside that, rare disease communities got um, breakthrough therapy designation, they got <clears throat> um, some rare disease pediatric study um, uh, rules done, so if a company creates a new treatment for a pediatric disorder that's rare, which is um, too rare itself to create. Uh, a lot of companies just don't want to focus on pediatrics. But if they do, then um, they, they get um, some faster reviews and so forth. These things make a difference, and they're so detailed, the public often doesn't understand them. But by bringing together the collective voice, you've gotten so much done. So tell us about the upcoming major annual event that you host uh, along with some other rare disease groups called Rare Disease Week on Capitol Hill. Sure. What is that and when is it? So um, the Every Life Foundation is a small organization. Um, we can't, uh, we, we really pride ourselves on giving patients a voice in public policy. So why we're behind the scenes developing, developing, developing a policy with stakeholders, it's really the patients that do the big work um, to convince Congress to support these policies. And so what we do um, through our Rare Disease Legislative Advocates Program is we host Rare Disease Week on Capitol Hill. It is a week-long program um, where we bring, um, I think we're probably going to bring 500 to 600 patients to Washington, D.C. Um, to meet with their members of Congress um, and learn about the policy that matters. There's actually going to be um, an event hosted by the FDA um, the day before our conferences start, and then um, the conference ends with the NIH event. Um, so rare disease at NIH. So a really big, powerful event. We expect 
um, nearly a thousand people to participate in one of the events throughout the whole week. Um, and there'll be a number of different pieces of legislation that the community can advocate for. So there'll be um, the need to pass the federal newborn screening reauthorization. Um, as you talked, as you spoke earlier, the pediatric priority voucher program that incentivizes the development of pediatric rare diseases actually needs to be reauthorized next year. Um, so that could be an ask for the community to make. The foundation will actually be introducing new legislation centered around establishing an FDA center of excellence for rare diseases that I spoke about before. So there'll be a piece of legislation on that. So a lot of really um, important pieces of legislation that impact the community. Um, we don't tell patients what to advocate for. We actually um, educate them about all the different bills that are happening and they can choose what piece of legislation is most impactful for them and their family. And they can ask their member of Congress to co-sponsor co that piece of legislation. Um, so very exciting. Registration actually opens the first week of January. Um, and we, we really hope to have a huge group of advocates coming. We, we received um, about 800 travel stipend applications. Unfortunately, we were only able to grant about 200 of those um, because of our limited funding. Um, but we do hope that um, we'll have uh, five to 600 advocates meeting with their members of Congress that week. So, um, and yes, for those- that makes a big difference. And I, yes. and I know that um, a lot of people who come to that um, are not experienced um, going to Capitol Hill and speaking with their legislators. But as soon as they, they arrive, they begin to realize, oh, they're teaching us this. And they're showing us what the issues are and how to talk about them. And you even give uh, uh, leave behind, so simply a simple written statement. So the shyest people can join a group of other advocates and go in and meet with their members of Congress uh, in their offices and just hand over the, the leave behind. But almost everybody I notice gets courage from the uh, common group they're with and how uh, receptive the members of Congress and their staffers are to hearing about something that affects everybody. So you're actually creating new advocates by the hundreds every rare disease week. Yes, that is our goal. And for those of you who can't join us for rare disease week, we have a number of ways to participate remotely. Um, you can watch our um, live streaming of the events, you can call your members of Congress. You can email your members of Congress. You can go meet with your members of Congress in district. So there's lots of opportunities for you to participate, even if you can't come to DC. Yes, and we see, um, looking back at so, since you started this 10 years ago, the, the progress and the accomplishments are very clear. It's very easy to point out, here is where the patient advocates have made a difference in the way clinical trials are conducted, and the way the regulatory authorities and biotechs and Congress and patient advocates collaborate. It's made a big difference. And it takes it, you know, I, I just was at a rare disease conference and um, I was um, in a small room where parents were exchanging some techniques, what talking about what clinical trials are. And there were a couple of mothers in there of newly diagnosed children with pretty devastating diseases, just two and a half weeks into diagnosis. And one of them was sobbing quite a bit, which is a very, very understandable response. And when these par parents get a little more experience, um, they start to take action and do what they can. But what has really moved the needle is the collective voice and the fact that you, you've collected that voice along with some other rare disease groups that are also very impactful. 
And now you have the collaboration that's proactive of not only members of Congress on both sides of the aisle, but the FDA and the NIH work, working with you. They've been doing a lot for decades, but the collaboration is making a difference. So as you mentioned before, you named the number 7,000 rare diseases are classified, and we only have FDA approval for something like somewhere between five and 600. So there's right. so much more to go. So many of these parents that need help, and this is one of the areas where change can happen. Well, and the really exciting thing, when we started the foundation 10 years ago, we didn't use the C word, cures, because cures weren't scientifically possible then, but now they are. And so the only thing standing away in the way of actually getting patients treated is the policies that affect the way that treatments are um, developed, regulated, and paid for. So if we could change the dynamics of the way things are paid for, then we could and, and the way that they're developed, we could certainly bring thousands of treatments to patients in our lifetimes. The, the science is there. We just have to figure out what policies we're going to do to make that a reality. Yes, yes. And you've, you got, um, you've made it clear that um, anybody who is a patient or a patient family member can participate. The uh, companies and the government uh, are already collaborating. What if um, <clears throat> investors want to invest? You have an event in early January that's coming up that happens every year during the J.P. Morgan conference. What's that? Yes, so we have our annual Rare Affair event. It is actually our only fundraiser for the entire year. Um, it happens during J.P. Morgan. It's the Sunday before. We sell tickets that raise money to help us with our policy goals for the whole year, and there's sponsorships available as well. Um, so I think uh, if you are going to be in town uh, in, in San Francisco for J.P. Morgan, please come and check out Rare Fair. We have some amazing wines. We'll have some good food. Um, you'll be, have the opportunity to meet with some patients and industry partners um, and learn more about what the foundation is doing in 2020. So that's a rare affair in San Francisco. Yes. And your, what is your website if for you Every Life Foundation? Yes, it's everylifefoundation.org. Um, it's again, everylifefoundation.org. And when you hit the landing page, you'll be able to see the ad for Rare Affair right up top. Well, thank you so much, Julia Jenkins, for talking with us today. Thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate the opportunity. We've been speaking with Julia Jenkins, the Executive Director of the Every Life Foundation for Rare Diseases, everylife.org. And one of their slogans is science-driven science public policy. And, that, and another one is, no disease is too rare to deserve treatment. Ladies and gentlemen, this is WCG Patient Radio. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.